journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. I love it always that I can wish you all a Shabbat and a good week. And we've just come out of an intense one month of Yamim Tovim. Um, I hope that everybody enjoyed the Yamim Tovim. Especially we decided as a family, chatting around, that this is going to be one Yamim that we are really, really going to uh, remember. And we are going to tell our children about how we uh, celebrated all the different Yamim in a very, very different, but I believe interesting and introspective way. I think uh, celebrating the Yontavs with, with a lot more um, intentionality and really looking at the Yontavs of what the Yontavs really mean as opposed to getting caught up with all the externalities of, you know, who you're going to see at shul and which shul can make the bigger um, dinner and, and all those things, even though they're, they're, not, they're not bad. I'm not knocking them that they're bad, but certainly that we... Uh, we, we were very much more on our own. And I'd love to have some feedback how you actually found the, the this Yontav. Um, did you find it inspiring? Were you more inspired or did you find it pretty lonely and more difficult? It's really, really interesting to hear across the board from people and see how they, you know, they uh, they, they found those things. Having said that, we're I'm back in the seat and we're learning Chumash together. We are learning the five books of Moses and interestingly, I was thinking last year this time, it was exactly this time where we had just come out of uh, Simchat Torah. We had just come out of the last Jewish holiday of the high holiday season, Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the Torah. And why is it called the rejo- rejoicing of the Torah? Simply because that is when we finish the Torah and we again, um, we, we, we study it again. And uh, it was that this time last year that I decided to 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 go public, and I'm putting it in virtual commas public, but to share with the listeners on Chai FM as well as to the people that I give shiurim to on on a on a weekly basis, the idea that we should be going back to basics and learning what the Bible, what the Torah, what the Chumash has to tell us. Um, the five books of Moses are the foundation of what we do and what we learn. And so we started the book of Bereshit, and um, it's been quite a journey. And uh, we are now early on the, the, the I think, the fifth parsha. Just look at it. It's it's, it's gracious, Noach, Lech Lecha, Vayera, and we've just started Chayesara. So we're on to the fifth parsha of the Torah, which is the parsha of Chayesara. And we're, we've, we've been following since Bereshit Bara, Elohim, Etashamayim, it's when God created heaven and earth. We've had podcasts since then, and hopefully one day we will look back and say, well, we finished up the whole book of Genesis, and, uh, you know, we finished up all the parashiyot. So please join me today, as you do every single uh, every single week. We are going to be following the story of Eliezer, uh, finding a wife for Yitzchak, and as always, the lines are open on 34519 if you'd like to share a thought, ask a question, even contradict me. I'm happy. I love debate. Do not be shy. Please, please join in on the conversation. We're going to go for a little bit of a break. When we get back, we're going to get our teeth stuck in. 
Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and we're going to go through quite a few verses now in Parashat Chayesara uh, in 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 chapter 24. And over here, what we're going to look at right now is, in fact, uh, the retelling of the story of Eliezer. Um, uh, to now, to Betuel and Lavan, and how he came to them. Now, there's a lot of questions to be asked on this entire topic, but before we start asking the questions, we have to understand the context. So, we're, if you're following in, we're in chapter 24, verse 33. Um, it says, They set food before him. Remember that Eliezer came to uh, the house of Lavan, and asked if he could sleep there, and if he could, you know, he could eat there. And so now he's sitting down uh, at the meal. Interestingly, just to keep in mind for those who are not following consecutively, uh, Laban, when he heard that there was a very rich man sitting by the well, went out to try kill Eliezer, realized that Eliezer was a very, very wealthy and very spiritual man, and therefore he couldn't. And so what Laban then did was prepare poison for him um, in his in his portion, and this is now what happens, that they put the food before him to eat. Vayomer, but Eliezer says, Lo uchal ad indibati devarai. I don't want to eat until I have spoken my piece, until I want to say what I have to say. Vayomer daber, and so they said, um, please, please speak. Now, Eliezer was, was, was very, very clued up and he knew the duplicity and the dishonesty. And he figured before he starts eating and schmoozing and, and things are going to go haywire, um, he better just give them the story and explain to them what, what it is that he came from. So he goes like this, Vayomer. And he says, Evid Abraham Anochi, I am a servant of Abraham. Hashem has blessed my master tremendously, the Yigdal, the Yitin Lo, and he, 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 he became abundant, he became great, and he gave him, and then he enumerates all the things that Abram's got. My servant now has uh, sheep and cattle, silver, gold, male and female slaves, camels and donkeys. And now Sarah, the wife of my master, gave birth to him a, be, a son, Adoni. After uh, she she was she was old, so he's talking now about the the um, <clears throat> the the miracle of Yitzhak's birth. And this is very important for them to hear. And now Abraham has given everything that is his to his son uh, Yitzvah. The Yaspiani Adoni, and then I made a oath to my master, Lamor, saying, Do not take a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites, that were sitting um, in, um, in our land. In lo el beis avitelech, I was told to come to the house of um, Abraham's father. 
משפחתי to his family and that I should take a wife from his family. So he's explaining now why it is that he finds himself in that position. Va'omer, el Adoni, and I said to my master, Ulai lotelecha isha acharai, what would happen if the, the girl does not want to come after me? Va'yomer elai, and he said to me, Hashem ashehir hanachti lefanav yishlach melachoi itach, Hashem who I have walked before, will send before you an angel, and he will make your job successful, he will make your way successful, and you will be successful in bringing a wife from my family and from the house of my father. And if you cannot, then you will be absolved of this oath to me when you come to my family. If they do not give it to you, then you are released from your oath. So then he finishes up and he says, so I've come now to the well. And then I, he talks about the sign he gave Hashem. What did he say? Abraham, The God of my master Abraham, Im yeshcha na matzliach tarki, if you will make my way successful, the way that I'm walking upon it now, I'm going to stand at this well of water. If a girl comes to draw water, and I will say to her, give me some water from your jug, then if she says to me, you may also drink, and I will draw water for your camels to drink, then she is the wife whom God has determined for my master's son. I had hardly finished talking um, Alivi in my heart, Rivka Yotzet, Rivka came out, there was a jug on her shoulder, Vetered, Anya, Batisha, Omar Elecha, Hashkeenina, she took it down, um, to draw water, and I said to her, please, can I have something to drink, but to my hair, Batore, Kada, Alecha, she took the, uh, vessel down from, from her shoulder, Batomer, and she said, I will um, drink and I will also water your camels. So I drank and I also watered the camels. And he continues and he says, Va and I asked about Omer Ma Bat I asked whose daughter are you? But Tomer and she said, Bat Betuel Ben Nachor Milka. I am the daughter of Betuel, who is the son of Nachor, um, whom Milka, the grandmother, gave birth to. Basim Hanezim Alapa, and so I gave her the nose ring for her nose. Behatzmidim Aliadecha, and I gave her the bracelet on her hand. And so then I bowed down to Hashem, I blessed Hashem, the, the God of my master Abraham, Hashem, who led me on a true path. I have come to take her as a, 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 a wife. 
ואתה עם עזכם עושים חסד ואמת אל אדוני. So now if you are meant to deal with kindness and truth towards my master, הגידו לי, tell me, ואם לא הגידו לי, ואפנה על ימין או על שמאל, tell me, are you happy with this? Are you happy to go left or right? Just basically, are you happy with this entire story? Well, let's see. We're going for an ad break. Let's see what they reply. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. We just spent quite a, a number of verses, in fact, 12, 15 verses, where Eliezer is now telling the entire story and the entire uh, background as to how he landed up sitting in front of Lavan and Betuel. Um, and really, there is a huge, huge question here as to why he had to go on and on and on about it. It, the verses could have said, or the verse could have said, and Eliezer retold the circumstances as to why he was there, and he offered, I don't know, um, offered uh, Rivka's hand in marriage. But the Torah waxes eloquent, and so when the Torah does ex, uh, wax eloquent and spends so much time, there is much, much to learn, which... This is where we are going to start our discussion. I just want to finish, actually, now that I see one or two more verses, actually three more verses, where once he went and said to, to uh, Lavan and Betuel, to the brother and the father, you know, tell me. If not, tell me and I will go and I will make other alternative arrangements. Vayya'an Lavan u Betuel. Lavan and Betuel reply. Vayyomru, they say, Mehashem yatsahadavar. This thing where we can see from the story you've told us is, is absolutely something that comes from God. Lo nuchal daber elecha ra otov, we cannot say good or bad. Hine rivka lefanecha, so here is rivka, kach velech, take her and go, vatihi isha leven adonecha asher diber Hashem, and let her go and be the wife for the son of your master as you have spoken. So basically they acknowledged that they saw that God had granted not only Abraham's success but Eliezer's success and made everything come true and therefore they cannot argue. And they also knew that they were wealthy themselves and that Rivka had never gone to draw water before and the very fact that she had gone to draw water that day was another sign that this was actually meant to be. And so they acquiesced. When Abraham's servant heard their words, they prostrate themselves before on the ground to Hashem because Eliezer wanted to thank God uh, for his success. And so he concludes this uh, agreement. He takes out vessels of silver and of gold and also clothes by eating the Rivka he gives to he gives to Rivka and to her brother and her mother he gives fine fruit the, the fruit he gave them was from that which grows in Hebron and um, because that was very very precious then they sat down to eat and they sat down to drink um Eliezer and all the men that were there, obviously his servants and the rest of the family, kind of like had an engagement party, then he uh, spent the night there. 
they got up in the morning by Yomer and he says, please send me back to my master. So that really, um, in a sense, basically, uh, to a large extent, concludes this uh, engagement process. Now, let's take a step back and look at a few things and then start learning as to why Eliezer had to wax eloquent, and even if he waxed eloquent, why the Torah took so much time in explaining the story again. It really, we all know the story, you know it off by heart, why spend so many psukim explaining the words again. Well, the first thing that we need to take cognizant of is that uh, Eliezer was being guided by an angel, and when they went and said, sit down and eat, and then we can talk, and he said, no, I need to talk first, he knew that he was being poisoned. And what happened was that, in fact, in Abraham's merit, the poison that Laban was going to serve him was exchanged by the angel um, to that of Betuel. So what really, really happened was that Betuel and Lavan heard the entire story. You heard from the verses that they both agreed to the marriage. So father and brother, Vayaan, Lavan, Ubetuel, they both replied as one. They both agreed to the marriage. But then what happened when they sat down to eat? Betuel ate it and he died. And how do we know that? Because after this, Betuel is no longer men mentioned, and you'll see that any other transaction that was concluded was with Rivka's mother and brother, where you could see that he went out and he gave gold and silver objects and garments to Rivka, and then to his brother and mother gave fine food, fine fruits. Why not to the father? Because we are told that Betuel had suddenly got an infection, and he had died, etc., etc. Others say that he probably would have done a Kanavi thing as his son Lavan does much later to Yaakov where he says, yes, you can marry Rachel and then when it comes the night of the wedding, he switches Rachel with Leah. So Eliezer understood that he had the merit of two angels accompanying him and that if he didn't speak before the meal, uh, he would be in trouble because what happened directly after the meal, which we don't see in the Psukim, but which we are taught to taught about in the Midrash, is that um, Betuel's sudden death plunged the household into turmoil and into mourning, and um, it, it would have been really, really difficult if they had eaten, and then Betuel had died, and then he tried to negotiate. So that's just the first thing, and a very, very interesting thing to, to, to understand and to pick up. Um, <clears throat> obviously, once Betuel also had given his consent, uh, Eliezer could then argue right after Shiva that he could take, or after the morning period, that he could take Rivka straight away because that was Betuel's last request. So it's, it's, it's very, very, very important to, to look at it that way. But now let's start understanding what it is that, uh, that we're learning from this entire repetition again, and, and truthfully, I think it gets repeat, repeated a third time when Eliezer comes back to Abraham, and we will do that analysis then. But there are quite a number of invaluable lessons that we learn. 
The first is that it teaches us proper behavior, meaning that if a person has a defect, one should admit it rather than waiting for others to accuse him of it. What do we mean by that? Well, you can see that the way the way that um, Eliezer explained himself to him to themselves was that he began by saying the words, and I'm just going to flip back. Vayomer, um, Vayomer. What was his first words? Eved Abraham Anoichi. I am a servant of Abraham. Now, why would he have started with that? You know, he could have started schmoozing. He didn't have to talk about the, him being a servant. He could have just started saying, um, I'm here to talk about Abraham and, and God bless Abraham. And he's got all these, 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 um, physical, um, possessions, etc., etc. Why did he start with, I am Abraham's servant? Um, most other people wouldn't want to belittle themselves. They could have maybe even call themselves an agent, a friend, a relative. And who really would have cared to contradict them, because as we saw in any event, especially in the case of Lavan, um, he came laden with ten assistants and ten camels loaded with all the fine garments, the gold, the silver, the precious stones. Um, why say that? So Eliezer began by admitting that he was a slave because that's proper behavior. Um, and it, 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 it frames everything in a correct way. Because remember, Laban thought he was actually speaking to Abraham himself. And so we taught in, in Malachi in another book of the Tanakh, where it says that an, a son should honor his father and a slave should honor his master. And so Eliezer did everything in his power to enhance Abraham's reputation. And by extension, then we learn that when you are talking to somebody, not only is proper behavior to say the correct thing, but a person should never mislead another person. Okay? Uh, and this is something that it's, it's, it's a subtlety, but many, many times we can say things that are a little bit, um, out of kilter, a little bit, uh, on, on the exaggeration side because we're trying to impress. It says that if somebody goes and says, wow, you're such a great scholar, um, one should make them aware of your limit. You should, one should make the other person aware of your limitations. Um, and where do we learn all of this? So if again, we look back at the verses, um, and we look into the Hebrew, you will see that Eliezer said, and I said to my master, what if the girl will not follow me. This is him telling the story. I'm just going to go back and give you the exact uh, words. He says, um, let me just find it over here. I'm just looking. Here it is. El Adoni. Ulai lo Ulai. Perhaps. The girl will not come after me. This is Eliezer telling the story. Now, if you look at the word there, ulai, it's spelt very strangely. Generally, ulai, perhaps, maybe, if, is alaf vav lamad yud. But here, um, the vav is missing. Okay? And it is written alaf lamad yud. Now, the Torah could mean 
Um, the Torah then goes and says that because the vav is mi- missing, you could change around the vowels. And instead of reading the word ulai, you could say elai, which means to me. And this was actually alluding to the fact, and this is what Eliezer was trying to hint, to me if the girl will not follow me. Meaning, perhaps, Abraham, you will then consider Yitzchak to me for my daughter. If you recall, he wanted to uh, let his daughter marry Yitzchak. He was the faithful servant. And Abraham said to him, no, you cannot marry uh, my son cannot marry your daughter because you come from the nation of Canaani, from the Canaanites, and the Canaanites are accursed. And here we see in subtlety when he's saying to Lavan and to Betuel that I said to my master, Omar el Adoni, I said to my master, What happens if the, woman, the girl doesn't want to come to me? He was actually hinting to the fact that he that he was not ashamed to admit that he wanted his daughter to marry Yitzhak and that Abraham had refused him because he was a descendant of Canaan and he was considered, unfortunately, cursed. This teaches us proper behavior in when we are talking to people that we actually tell the person the truth. You don't... Uh, aggrandize things, you don't make things bigger than they are, you don't give a slight uh, line to it um, and and mislead people either way and 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 the vice versa, one should not knock one, one oneself down one needs to tell the truth, one should never be ashamed to admit the truth and, and uh, one should stipulate things in a very very clear way and this is something that we all need to learn from. We all need to know that when we are saying whatever we are saying, that we're saying it, it's coming from a place of truth. It's coming from a place of honesty and integrity, and we're not um, covering it up or um, making it what it is not to be. Now, we're going to come on to another lesson, and this lesson is actually a pretty long lesson because this is something that we've discussed before and now we're going to take a little bit more of an angle there's the verse of the Torah saying that Eliezer let the camels rest on their knees outside the city besides the well in evening when women would come out to draw water so the Torah the, the, the rabbis ask well isn't this really redundant who cares that he allowed the camels to rest on their knees outside the city, by the well, in the evening, when the woman come to draw water? Absolute redundancy. Why is it that you actually have to use all of those words to describe the circumstances under which he was going to meet Rivka? So we are told over here is that the Torah permits us to seek out certain kinds of omens. And here we're going to go into hairy uh, territory because there is a difference between looking around at your circumstances and seeing if something is meant to be and then going and seeking divination and going to somebody to read, God forbid, cards 
or any other form of divination to tell you what is going to be or what it is that you need to do. So what is the teaching here? That if a person is thinking about getting married, it's fine to go to the town well in the evening when the women come out to draw water and to listen to what they have to say. Because if you hear what they're talking about, that could be taken as a good or bad omen as to how they are talking about. And so the Talmud is very, very, uh, is replete with stories of our great rabbis who would look or do something to and, and see what, how the circumstance around them would react in order for them to understand if they can and they should uh, uh, proceed. So, um, for example, it says that when Rav wanted to go somewhere, there was a great rabbi by the name of Rav, he would find someone to take him across the river immediately. Okay? And this is what he signed. If he went to the river and there was somebody there immediately to take him over, he would cross. If he had to seek out a ferryman, he wouldn't undertake the journey. Why? Because he understood from that then that um, uh, he, th it was a sign from on high that he was not meant to go. There's a story told of Rabbi Yochanan, who once went to travel from Yerushalayim to Babel to Babylonia to visit Shmuel. And on his way, he encountered a young child, and he said to the child, Hey, what did you learn today? Give me a verse. Tell me what you learned. So the child repeated the verse, and Shmuel died. And he was talking about the Tanakh. Uh, way before uh, the Struktan was talking about Shmuel Navi. And later, Rabbi Yochanan realized that the Shmuel he was going to visit in Babel had, in fact, passed away. The Talmud also goes and says, and this is something that we do, we can and should understand. Um, this is in the Talmud, though I will tell you a contemporary story about two merchants, says the Talmud, who were preparing to take a business trip. One of them got a thorn in his foot and he wasn't able to go and he started complaining bitterly to God, asking why did he make him lose this opportunity. But a few days later, he received news that the ship which he should have sailed on, had sunk, and all the passengers were lost. And it said that he did chuva, he repented, and said, from on high it was shown to me that I should not go. The thorn that pierced my foot was the greatest favor possible. Now, we hear many, many, many stories where we find ourselves stuck, and we get really, really angry or upset that something is not going our way, and in fact, um, with 2020 vision, we actually see that it was the best thing that happened to us. Now I will uh, uh, challenge you out there, maybe or maybe COVID is one of those circumstances. Let's go for a break and we will come back shortly. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and we are studying Genesis verse, uh, verse 54, in fact, uh, chapter 24, and we're talking about looking for omens. Now, um, most of them are generally in 2020. Um, hindsight, uh, one of the contemporary stories I wanted to share with you was another very famous story that was actually made into song of a guy who was planning an incredible holiday, and the day before his holiday, he tripped, fell, broke his leg, landed up in the hospital, and his holiday went down the tubes. 
and he too was sitting in the hospital, bemoaning his fate um, and uh, watching the the uh, television that was above his head, as it is in hospitals, and there was breaking news that a, an airline had crashed. And he suddenly realized that the airline that had crashed with no survivors was in fact the airline that he uh, that he was uh, supposed to be on the day before when he broke his leg. And so he realized that what happened to him was in fact a good thing, not a bad thing. So in Toro, we're allowed to look at signs as to see why we are here, what happens where we went. Sometimes we don't really, really understand things to a greater or larger extent. So we can look at circumstance and see what is happening in the in the, the circumstantial field and to kind of like get a guideline, should I go there or shouldn't I go here? But we are not allowed to go to someone who will then use either black magic, call up the dead, or do any other heebie-jeebies um, in order to find out you know, what the end will be and what is going to happen. One final story on this, which is very interesting, and this comes from uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Luria. He was one of the greatest Kabbalists that ever lived. He's famously known as the Ari or the Arizal, um, uh, Yitzhak Luria. And he was, he lived in the 1500s. I think it was between 1534 and 1572. And he lived in the holy city of Tzvat. Anybody who's gone there can uh, visit his grave. And uh, as we know, the city of Tzvat was filled with mystics. Now, during his very short lifetime, he didn't live too long. He ordered his disciples that none of them were allowed to uh, write down his works except for one of them, Reb Chaim Vital, who lived in between 1542 and 1620, and he gave him sole permission to write down um, the mysteries of everything that he taught. Now, we're told that one of the disciples of the Arizal was a, a rabbi by the name of Moshe Mishalam, and he secretly, um, and unbeknownst to the Ari, wrote down notes thinking that he would never be discovered. And one Shabbat, he was called up to the Torah, and the reading ended on, and Moshe wrote. This is a verse in the, in, in the Torah. It's in Zavarim, in chapter 31, verse 9. When Rabbi Moshe later went to kiss the hand of Rabbi Yitzhak Lurian to wish him uh, good Shabbos, the, the Arizal berated him, and he said to him, didn't I tell you not to write down my teachings? Have you, have you, how did you have the audacity to write them down? Reb Moshe denied it, um, and uh, the Arizal went and said, well, in the Torah you just read, you said the words, and Moshe wrote. And this is a sign that you did write them. So come, let's go to the house, and let's search your house. And so they did, and uh, they found many, many, many written notes there. So he was... Um, he was, he, he, he really got, uh, uh, exposed there in a very, very, very uncomfortable way. So, do we believe in omens? Yes, we do. Um, do we get hysterical about them? No, we don't. We just look for good times. For example, there's some people that will, um, take a good omen in that they will only get married on the 15th of the month when it's the full moon. Or they will choose rather a Tuesday to get married on as opposed to every other day of the week. Why? 
because it says the words kitov twice, and it was good twice in the in the in the story of Genesis. Tuesday has the word kitov twice. So we look, we do things that are a good sgula, a, 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 an, an omen for good things, and we try to stay away from those things that are bad omens. At the same time, um, one is not superstitious, and one does not lend um, all, or, or, or I shouldn't say lend, gives one, give, give one's power over to these types of omens. It is there, um, it can be considered, but it's not within halakhic realm, and it is not something that, uh, you know, not today particularly, I think, and speaking to the, to the older generation, you find that, um, there was a lot, a lot of superstition, and what was passed over to the younger generations was more superstition than actual uh, halakhic learning. And I think that also came a lot with uh, the Moranos in the Golden Age of Spain, where people were forced to uh, to to go underground, and then they passed on things to their children, and things became uh, superstitious. And people started saying, well, I don't know, I just do it for them, or I don't do it because my mother didn't do it, and she just wouldn't let us, she never explained why. It's incumbent upon each and every single one of us to go and ask why, and understand why for certain things. So certain superstitions are correct, and there is a why uh, that um, that 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 has explanation and that does have foundations in the Torah. But on the same on the same side, uh, there's a lot of stuff that has become convoluted, mixed up, misguided, wrong information, and has become something that is superstitious. And really not explained. So over here we see that Eliezer did indulge in, 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 in looking at omens and trying to understand what it is that is being, that, that was being asked. Yeah. And it was he in the right place at the right time? Did things work out correctly? He did ask a God, God for a sign. And as we spoke before, one shouldn't um, one should be very careful when asking for signs because you could ask for one thing and you haven't asked it uh, as, as best as possible and uh, you'll end up getting the wrong thing. And in fact, Eliezer does have a charota about that. He does have a... Um, uh, uh, he, he, afterwards, he realizes to himself that um, he's done the wrong thing. What's another lesson that we learn? And this is a, a, an, an, an interesting one. The Midrash goes and says that one should marry a similar social level, meaning if one seeks to marry in a socially superior or less or other way of family, you generally will have an unhappy marriage and this will not have respect from the spouse. So you can see here from the statements of Lavan and Betuel, they said this comes from God, we cannot say anything to you, good or bad. Meaning that they could see that if they, they were on the same stature. If Isaac is famous and wealthy, then let, let uh, uh, Rivka marry into it because they themselves um, were sitting in the same in the same area. So here again is another lesson that one should generally seek out to marry 
at the same level that you are now because, you know, being less or more tends to bring a lot of trouble with it. I'm going to go for a little bit of a break and then sum up. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back, and really we've got maybe one or two minutes, so I don't want to get into yet another lesson, um, which we will to get into next next week. But just having an overview of what we've learned now, I think that it's important for us as we go back to our day-to-day life um, and get involved in the physical world, for us, A, to be very, very careful to ensure that everything we say has an, has has truth to it, that nothing is embellished, nothing is taken out of context, and that we don't make ourselves bigger than, than we are particularly. That's generally how we do it. Most There are people that belittle themselves, but that too, as we said, is not something good, that one should have a healthy health esteem and recognize what it is that they do good and what it is um, that they, they, they tell other people. And the second is to be a little bit more cognizant in, in, in your life that God is guiding the way. God is in control of everything. And there are times that God will talk to us through nature, through circumstance, through certain things. And whether things are working out for the good or what would seem not working out um, well for us, we should, number one, understand that God is running the world. But then um, ask us, uh, and if we find ourselves in a negative situation, say, what can we learn from it? And what does God want from me right now? That is vitally important. Um, and many, many times with 2020 vision, we see that where God put us is where we are supposed to be. Um, and to uh, summarize it all up, right now we're all still suffering with uh, the COVID ep- epidemic. And it's still very much forefront. In the world, there's still lots to be learned um, uh, learned about it. So don't brush it out of the uh, uh, under the carpet. Don't go and say, well, when can we get back to normal? Ask yourself, what is it that I can learn in this area and what can I do to make things better? And with that, I wish you a Shabbat Tov, a good week, a productive week, and we will be back together again this time next week. Have a wonderful one.